Watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast In which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives I am Jason Leroy And I'm Rebecca Olarte Today we're gonna give you four movies The Lobster, A Bigger Splash, Neighbors 2, and The Angry Birds Movie and as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that sequel. I mean mess. Oh, oh. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Jason. Jason. What's up with you? Thank you for asking. So, um, Monday night, I did attend the Formation World Tour mm. at... Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, which is where the I'm told the Super Bowl happened. Yeah. Um. So, which of course the gays know is like the Beyonce show that also has a football game. <laughs> and uh, I know it's a tire joke, but I decided to repeat it. Um. Yeah. So it was the thing that I always look forward to at a Beyonce show. It's my third my third time seeing her. Um. I saw her on the Sasha Fierce tour and then on the Mrs. Carter tour. And this is by far the best one she's ever done. By far. Partially because she's coming off of three consecutive brilliant albums mm-hmm. um, after kind of a shaky first three. So don't come for me, Beehive. Um, <laughs> I think we can all agree that Sasha Fierce was a mixed bag. Um, <laughs> so what I always look forward to seeing is like, how is she going to just completely detonate some poor fan's brain? Because mm-hmm. um, she loves doing it. She loves, she just bats them around until they explode. It's like a cat. It is. It, it, you, you zeroed right in on that one. I got it. You look that up. You look like a cat. <laughs> Beyonce is like a cat. <laughs> I know about cats. <laughs> I'm picking up your hints. So um, so this time, so she has these two little like pits on either side of the stage. The Bay Hive. For like, for like, yeah, the highest of the rollers. And um, and she did, you know, give them both both a, a lot of attention during the show. And, you know, they were all equipped with towels to offer her for her to, like, pat her face with and give back to them. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's that kind of thing. And so during Hold Up, um, you know, and she also, during a lot of songs, you know, she'll stop and, like, hold the mic out. And, like, everyone, of course, like, knows every word to everything. So mm-hmm. we all just start screaming it in unison. And um, so during Hold Up, one of the lyrics that she decided to have a fan do is um the bit where she goes, but I'm a fuck me up a bitch. Oh yeah, she didn't. Okay. So she, so she, <laughs> so she's just like hovering over this little pit, and then she just like sings the line leading up to that, which is I don't remember. No, 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 but I'm a fuck me up. A so and then she, so she puts the mic down, and I did not see the person who who responded, who 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 accepted the challenge, but it was it sounded like a gay white man. Oh, perfect. Uh, who was just <laughs> just caught up in the moment and just it did not sing the lyric. No. <laughs> no, uh was was so was so overwhelmed by the moment that he just screamed, "I'm a fuck me up a bitch." Oh my, was it you? Um it, yeah, I mean like I was doing that in my seat obviously. Sure, okay. Um and just the look on her face <laughs> um was was like the look on her face, it looked like she was listening to a gospel chorus. Like she had like this kind of like, she was like this very like emphatic nod, like, mm. and it was just like, but, like, but humoring him at the same time. Yeah. Um, because she just knows how to, de- she knows how to destroy the gays. She yeah. loves it. She loves nothing more than watching a queen's head blow right off. <laughs> um, so, and it was, it was, it was a fine moment. So uh, if you will also go out to the formation world tour, which you should do, it is well worth Binge the it. considerable price. 
then just wait for that moment and see if it. She also just picks a gay in every city to just like <laughs> leave, just wrecked for life. Well, wasn't didn't recently on the last tour Rihanna did that and some guy in the front oh yeah row, he did like, too well nailed it. Yeah, he sang too well. Yeah, which which is you know which I've never seen happen to Beyonce show. I don't I, think that's possible. No, no. I think that, you know, with Rihanna, it's a lower bar vocally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, and also B, B, for all I know, might have just a sixth sense about who could possibly be comparable vocally just by looking at them. She's like, nope. Skip. I want a screeching queen. And, <laughs> and that is all I want. So, and, and I'd be happy to give that to her if the opportunity ever arose. So anyway, that's what's up with me. Rebecca, what's up with you? Um, I've had a parallel gay week to yours um but in my own way um the lesbian way the lesbian way which is where i got i um hurt my toe playing basketball (laughs) and had to have my toenail surgically removed yeah so i've been walking around with the limp Mm. and it's it's getting better now we're uh, i'm at a point where i think i can walk sans limp and um soon i'll be back on the courts Guys, it should be known that I have seen Rebecca several times since this injury happened, and literally oh every time God, I have forgotten time. that it's happened, and I'm like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Pick up the goddamn pace. And I've I'm, gotten that twice from people. I've gotten twice where people are like, oh, we're in a hurry, and we need to go. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, tr- I'm trying. And, but with you, you, You're like, literally you just no go, time. and oh, it yeah. takes you like a minute and a half to realize I'm not next to you. Oh, yeah. No, I am a, I am nothing if not a frenzied, panicked walker. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to get where I'm going as quickly as possible. And uh, and yeah, I definitely was having vibes of like, mom's visiting me in the city again. <laughs> <laughs> Walking your ass around. Um, our friend Heidi, though, is, is very like, you stay right there. I'll pick you up in the car. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah. She's very she's very Thank attentive. You. Although she did. She left you to your own devices, though. She made me walk with her. I yeah. was like, shouldn't I be looking after Rebecca? She's vulnerable. <laughs> she doesn't have her big toenail to ward off predators. Uh, so I usually keep it sharpened to a point for that particular reason. I'll say I've seen the business end of that thing once or twice. <laughs> Back under, off. Under this desk. Uh, <laughs> just caressing you. <laughs> yeah. When you're doing well. And then a little jab when you're talking too long. So you have all those holes in your leg. Exactly. This is why I'm really off script today. Because, you know, I just don't have that control in place. No. No, I have to do with my eyes. So, so it's going to be a wild show, guys. Um, so let's start off with um, our pick of the week, which is the lobster. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. week. In a dystopian near future, single people, according to the laws of the city, are taken to the hotel, where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days, or they are transformed into beasts and sent off into the woods. Have you ever been on your own before? No, never. The last relationship lasted how many years? Twelve. Sexual preference? Women. Any children? No. And the dog? This is my brother. He was here a couple of years ago, but he didn't make it. So you've been waiting quite a long time to review this movie. I have. So I saw this at, I hope guys will be one of the last times to hear me say at Toronto. I feel like I've said that every week. You're going to say it all the way until you go to until Toronto I, and again. And start all over again. So I'm just going to stop apologizing for it. No apologies. Um, yeah, I watched this last September, and wow. it's now May. Um, so I have just been waiting and waiting and waiting. This movie has been released internationally, basically ever since it opened at Toronto. But the U.S. distributor um, that, that picked up the, the domestic rights for it fell apart. And then it was just kind of like just floating without a distributor for a minute. And I was like, how does everyone not realize that this movie is a fucking masterpiece? Mm-hmm. And like that anyone would be lucky 
to have it on their roster, even though it's not going to be, you know, a big blockbuster. Right. But but then, like, cue fucking Heavenly Angels coming down to Earth, A24. Who's really been Just the best. Killing it. I mean, the coolest, coolest, coolest in the game. They did um, Green Room? Yep. They and did, they did the Green Witch? Room as well. They did The Witch. They did Room. Room. Going back to, like, Spring Breakers, Under the Skin. Mm-hmm. Um, like, when you see their, the, the bling ring... Yeah, when you when you see their 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 cool vet, you know retro title card come up at the beginning of a movie, mm-hmm. you know you're in for a cool ish time. Well, I say ish because they also put out Mojave. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but they have their straight to video uh, uh, releases as well. So yeah, A24 picked up the lobster and immediately started giving it very cool marketing in a way that only they can do. And um, it opened in New York and LA last Friday, and I believe from what I read that it actually set the record so far this year for highest per screen average. Really? That it grossed something like two hundred thousand dollars on four screens per screen average. Does that mean there like are always going to be the same number? Oh, most seats filled in the available. Like per screen average in terms of how much it grows per screen, right. like per screen that it's playing. Okay, as opposed to having it be open in more places and less people having a lo- it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, let's say, like, a movie opens, like, like Fantastic Four reboot, reboot, for instance, you know, like last summer, like, right. opened really, really wide, but had, like, a really low per screen average. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this on four screens um, had, like, an insanely high per screen average. And wow. I saw so many people in New York and LA posting about it that were just now seeing it and being like, holy shit. Uh, because it's such an amazing, amazing movie. It's and definitely a movie on on Twitter. You've seen cycles of yes, people talking about it as it, yes, as they've gone conceded to different um, festivals yeah, and stuff. Exactly. And now you're seeing just people in New York and LA seeing it and being and just being like, "Oh my god! Like, what even is this movie? Where did this come from?" So when you watch the trailer or you hear the description, it kind of runs like kind of an experimental, unwatchable, dare I say, art film. Like, right. um, does it? Does it seem like it's a little too... To you, did it seem... Because we both saw this one. Yes. Um, did it seem too lofty? No, it didn't seem too lofty at all. I think that's like... When people see the description, then I feel like they might think like, oh God, that's going to be like some weird, unwatchable movie. Mm-hmm. But it's actually like extremely accessible the way that it's directed. Yeah, it's uh, very simple. It's very simple. It's very... There are a lot of rules that are all spelled out for you mm-hmm. on screen. Um, it's but in entertaining ways. Not in, like in a very... Um, I don't know. Yeah, in a very droll way. In right. a very like this movie is fucking funny. It's so mm-hmm. so so funny, and 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 funny in, in in a layered way. Like there are layers and layers to this movie's humor and insight, and uh, and 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 I think that it's. And it, the, the the director Yorgos Lanthimos, this Greek director, mm-hmm. uh, he who did Dog Tooth. Uh, just he has such a control to the to the movie. Like so, mm-hmm. you you always feel it's one of those movies where you feel like someone's leading you by the hand into this kind of other realm, this right. alternate world, because it looks like our world, but it's not our world. That's kind of where I've been struggling in describing it because I'm like, it's in this alternate reality. But I feel like once you say that, you're you're kind of saying yeah, like, like, it's like sci-fi, it's, a exactly. it's like Blade Runner, but it's no. It's exactly the same, but with a whole different set of rules. Exactly. Um, and the description that we found actually just says it's in a dystopian future. So right. it's almost like the... Which I don't even has think has like a children of men say. kind of feel to it. If you take it in, in that way, like maybe yeah. something has happened and now we have to sort of do things this way. Because yeah. except for the whole part where people get turned into an animal, right. that's the only sort of crazy thing that that couldn't exist. Yeah, in this world. yeah. I mean, there's it's kind of like it's a movie that's played as you're watching it. It's all played very realistically and very naturalistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's everything. But everything about it is just skewed. It's just off. Right. You know. So you're like, oh, like this is. Then, then that's where a lot of the, the humor comes in. 
is that it's so deadpan and mm-hmm. just unblinking in this absurdity. And there's a, there's a great moment early on where they kind of address the absurdity by having a character who is explaining to Colin Farrell, um, a character played by Olivia Coleman from Broadchurch, uh, mm-hmm. explaining about the animals and about transitioning into an animal if you can't find a mate in this hotel. and how. But then even when you're an animal, you get a second chance at finding a partner. Right. And then she starts to explain, however, that not all animal partners would match. And she's like rattling all these different combinations. And then with the strays to faces says, that would be absurd. <laughs> and like that's kind of the, that's like the moment in the movie when like you get that moment where you're like, okay, it's, it knows it's funny. Right. <laughs> like yeah, this, exactly. this, this movie is, is it, it's not asking us to be serious about this. Right. Like, in that way, I felt like in that it's so similar to um, like our reality, but a little bit off is what, one of the things that reminded me a lot of a Wes Anderson movie. Hmm. It's very particularly done in the, in the way people interact. Yeah. It's, it's meticulously, um, things are everything's there for a reason uh, and the way people interact with each other that's just a little bit off people are a little bit different um, but not in a way that's you know again like alien um, mm. it's just very people are very particular um, mm-hmm. except it's like it would be like Wes Anderson's like evil twin because it's not cute it has it has like a weird whimsy, not like a mm-hmm. precious whimsy. Whimsy to it. Yes, because I'm allergic to whimsy. Uh, <laughs> but this movie is is just sort of 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 bleak enough in its assessment of things yes. that I'm willing to allow the whimsy that it includes. Um, and it has leading indie movie heartthrob Colin Farrell in it, <laughs> star of indie fame Phone Booth. <laughs> what was that other one he was in? Where he was like a SWAT. Oh yeah, I think SWAT was a thing, and then Daredevil. Which is really filming when he made that sex tape. Oh, yeah. Which is like, of all the movies he could have been filming when he made that sex tape, that's by far the one where he looked the fucking stupidest. So that's I mean, just a cosmic joke. You haven't that he seen was... the True Detective sex tape <laughs> I would version? Take, I would take that in a heartbeat over yeah? Daredevil sex tape. I mean, with the stupid, the, he, looked, he has such beautiful hair. Oh, is that when he, yeah, he had it all like yeah. weird and spiky. Well, he was bald. No, he was bald. Oh. He's full on bald in his sex tape. Up oh. top. Up top, at least. I haven't seen it. Down low becomes problematic, but uh, so you've seen it. Oh, of course I've seen it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> my God, huh. only human. I guess. Uh, so yeah, That's Colin Farrell, indie indie heartthrob. Uh, yeah, it's it's he is it's a, so unlikely to think like oh this great art film starring Colin Farrell, mm-hmm. but oh my God he's so good in this kills it like unth- like unthinkably good mm-hmm. like he first of all you know he he dumps up for this. Yeah, you know he is out of shape, and he is so convincingly dowdy and dumpy and mm-hmm. just like not, and just forgettable as a human being. Yes, in this yeah. movie, yeah, like he's just nondescript. He doesn't play up. No, like there's no like sexiest man alive remnant in there that's trying to get out and trying yeah. to be something. None at all. He completes completely his character. It's such a low key, restrained performance, but so perfectly in sync with the movie's point of view and mm-hmm. tone. Mm-hmm. And really, it falls to him as the lead, and as the lead who is is in every scene of the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's all on him to control the tone. And it's such a specific tone that like when you're watching it, you don't really have like, oh, that's like that's the same thing they did and blah blah blah. Like it's its own thing. It's so original. Mm-hmm. And he just gets it completely. And fortunately every other actor gets it as well. But Colin Farrell is the one who has to lead the lead the show as as the main character, as mm-hmm. protagonist. And he kills it. He's so funny. 
you, and and he just you understand it like you, he's a great entry point because that's kind of, I think it's kind of why you need like a movie star to play this kind of role because movie stars become movie stars because they're just effortlessly empathetic as on-screen surrogates like you see them and yeah. you just like them immediately mm-hmm. and you can kind of imagine being in their shoes and like looking at these actions you don't have to like figure out who who, who is this guy exactly like if it was like Paul Giamatti playing the character oh, then Christ. you know and that would have been funny in a different way but... I just saw Sideways for the first time oh. <laughs> which here's the thing about that is it that. not aged well it is not aged well oh no no it what? is not um, mm. everyone was just like oh it's so great why haven't you ever seen it I was like I don't know something about it just always kind of turned me off and then seeing it now post post I don't know time Wokeness. when it's okay yeah post yeah, <laughs> post woke now that I have right uh, it is un- basically unbearable oh man um, so yeah there's no Paul Giamatti it would have just been it would have been a thing if he had been in the movie it would have been like oh he's doing that thing where he's dumpy and nobody likes him and mm-hmm. but this movie having it be Colin Farrell was yeah. way more interesting and way more of a feat Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it seemed like everybody that was in the movies was Rachel Weisz, mm-hmm. there's um, Leah Sudo from Blue is the Warmest Color. And, Close enough. Uh, yeah? What is it? <laughs> Leah Sudo. Jesus Christ. Uh, we have Ben Wishaw, mm-hmm. uh, John C. Riley, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ashley Jensen. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's doing their own accent, which is something that the uh, filmmaker requested because it was sort of meant to be like this, like this international location. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in keeping with this idea of this being this world that we don't quite recognize. Right. So it's kind of more destabilizing to have, you know, like an Irish accent and British accent and American accent mm-hmm. and French accents all kind of mingling together. Uh, so and everyone just gets it. Yeah, everyone... it felt like they all went to like group therapy with before the movie and are really so <laughs> on the same page nobody breaks if anything leah leah sidhu sidhu um is the plays up i think the character in the scene more than everybody else her like role is a little bit mm. more intense mm-hmm. and i feel like she's it's more obvious that she's like being kind of strange right um but but again that, that's what her role calls for so it, it's not out of place it's just mm-hmm. it's more funny if anything yeah oh and you know what else sets the tone is rachel vice's narration oh right yeah which she narrates the entire film mm-hmm. um and she does not show up on screen until over halfway in and uh and her narration is so kind of aggressive mm-hmm. and uh and 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 deadpan uh, as well so sort of between her very just sort of like matter of fact kind of forceful uh, narration and then Colin Farrell's performance like that's kind of what you're you know where you're picking everything up and then every other supporting actor just goes completely in line with that mm-hmm. so this movie um, there are a lot of themes there's a lot there's a lot that goes on in the story um, there's the whole ridiculousness of like becoming right. an animal if you don't find a partner first of all I'm gonna I'm gonna break here what animal would you be Jason <laughs> Well, you know, I, I've given this a little bit of thought and I was thinking because, okay, so considerations to take, you know, when you're thinking what animal would I be, one of the first things I think of is like food chain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you wouldn't want to be an animal that's being like relentlessly pursued as food right? by, um, by whether it be human or animal um, predators. And, you know, and then you want to be an animal that people like. I guess I would want to be an animal people like. Maybe some people want to be an animal people want to have left alone. But mm-hmm. I want to be an animal that people like. Um, you know, I'd like to be some kind of, you know, luxury animal. Oh, man, if you steal my animal. And I, I landed at a koala bear. Speechless. So when you say, when, when you hear the word luxury... <laughs> 
<laughs> I pictured life in captivity in zoos, yes. Okay. Just being fawned over. Like, who doesn't love a koala bear? Nobody. Precious, precious things. Um, yeah, just kept. I, I'm fine being a caged bird. How are they um, in the I will food sing. chain? Aren't they at the bottom of the food chain? No, because no, who eats a koala bear? Other other mammals? Who? Well, they eat bamboo, so they yeah, don't... That's fine. They're at the bottom. They're... I'm fine with that, but no one eats them, though. I mean, I guess in the wild, they... not in a zoo. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, certainly not in a zoo. And... You also, you haven't had koala chips? <laughs> mm. Falling off the bone. Koala fingers. Koala fingers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Their koala. Little round ears make such good. I think koala snacks. because I don't know, like I don't know that they have any natural predators. Like I'm sure that just by being small mammals that are not known for their speed, that like if they were out in the wild and there was like some fucking panther or something nearby, that yeah. they'd be in danger. But I feel like most panther, you know, most koalas are in habitats, you know, that they're sort of have they're designed to keep them there because I mm-hmm. think I think they're endangered. I mean, every fucking animal's endangered, but. So yeah, that's that's where I landed. Just having huh. people coo over me for my cuteness, and no one wants to eat me. So that's a good one. Uh, what about you? I went with uh, one that's mentioned in the movie, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Well, I'll tell you why. I went with an animal. I wanted an animal that travels in packs um, because I like to be surrounded by uh, my own kind. <laughs> <laughs> Like-minded individuals is what I meant to say. <laughs> um, and it's very anthropological whenever you see her back yeah. out for a night in the town. <laughs> um, and it's an animal that could also, there's some kind of weirdo people out there that would like to keep one as a domestic pet. Um, mm. And they are pretty good hunters and they don't take too much maintenance. They're like a normal size. Mm. So I went with a wolf. Oh, this is this should not be shocking to me at all. I should really? have guessed that. I should have guessed that. I thought you were going to think I was going to say cat. No, no. I didn't expect you to say a cat at all. No, Cats no. are... Like, you, you can love a cat without wanting to be a cat. Yeah. The Rebecca Olarte story. <laughs> I'm going to sleep with that mantra tonight. <laughs> you can love a cat without wanting to be a cat. You can love a cat without wanting to be a cat. It's a breakthrough moment. It's really, um, there's a lot in this movie. So mm-hmm. there's this animal situation. There's, there are thoughts about what love is and what relationships are and what they aren't, what being free is. Mm-hmm. Um, so much to unpack. Um, did you feel like it was um, heavy? Did you feel like it was? it made sense to you? Uh, I, I love it. It has a lot of ideas without necessarily wanting to, I think, say any particular thing about them, mm-hmm. which I think is for the best. Like, I think that, you know, you don't want a movie to be didactic about mm-hmm. like its message. I think it gets you thinking about because I think all people in the modern world are aware of the absurdities around relationship status. Mm hmm. And around the pressure to be in a relationship and about the meanings that are attached to relationships by the individual as well as by institutions. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so uh, this movie is just kind of like a giant riff on all of that, like imagining this scenario. And I think that's part of why I think the movie is so accessible, even though it sounds weird, because joking about singleness transcends all like class and social and economic barriers. Like this is there could not be a more universal experience than the feeling of being single mm-hmm. um, and feeling like ostracized for it and feeling like you're expected to, uh, you know, partner up or else you're going to like lose your humanity altogether. Right. 
um, you know, which this takes to a hilarious um, extreme. Exactly. Um, but then this movie also looks at the flip side of that, which is, you know, sort of like proud lone wolves, mm-hmm. such as yourself. Uh, not all wolves are lone. And you're like, I said a pack, goddammit. <laughs> Remember my own kind. You'd definitely not be a lone wolf. No. Um, but, Ugh, you know. I hate people who say they're lone wolves. Yeah. When someone says that, it is, oh. Yeah, shut it down. Uh, yeah, you're like, well, you're not welcome my pack. Exactly. <laughs> sorry about it. <laughs> um, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. All right. Anyway, so yeah, uh, you know, this movie also looks into the, you know, sort of the other side of the spectrum of people who are, yeah, it's like proudly um, loners and, you know, who then would just reject, uh, you know, any kind of, you know, relationship as like a sign of weakness. And so, you know, so it kind of it plays with both sides of it, although I think it's a lot more potent um, when they're skewering, you know, the, the relationship um, hotel. Because mm-hmm. I think that's something that, you know, it's just there's a lot more fun to be had there. It gets a lot darker when it goes into the woods. Uh, into the woods, indeed. Into the woods. Um, I, thought, I think that because both sides are so have such, like, strict draconian rules around, like, what it means to be in a relationship, what it means to be single. I, mm-hmm. I felt the single side was also really uh, hilarious. Mm-hmm. That it makes, there's no clear winner. And, like, it almost makes you think for a moment if you haven't in a while or if you never had, mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. It's, it's not very often that something takes you out of like your mode of life and like this is how things are and then when it's blown to this extreme you're sort of you sort of stop and you're like wait what is the system that we do why do mm-hmm. we do this this is ridiculous yeah and then yeah. you then you forget and you go back to yeah. whatever you're doing which is the mark of a great allegory exactly uh, and you know and then even uh, you know it make, it's so it satirizes both sides of the relationship divide and mm-hmm. then also um, even you know shows this couple sort of getting into a relationship against all odds in an unlikely way and then showing like you know what people need to bond over like throughout the movie there are references to you know you need to have a, a, some commonality right with the person you're with you know like two people both have a limp uh, mm-hmm. or two people both get nosebleeds uh, and like that's like the thing that binds them and they need that thing in common to feel like you know this is my partner and right it's, it's like the oh you like toast I like toast right right exactly so and so there's this is not one of those movies where you have like a character who is smarter than the rest of them and who transcends right. it and is like wise and sees the big picture no like, oh that would be annoying yeah exactly no one here is like that no mm-hmm. one here is like that the, you know we have characters who you know kind of dislike both circumstances and just kind of do, want to do what they want but are not immune to their own sort of human foolishness. Exactly. Um, I already have a ticket to go see this on Friday. Oh, um, good. So, I mean, it's definitely getting a binge it for me. Yes, yes. Binge it, binge it, binge it. Um, this is definitely going to be... I, it's always tricky whenever I see a, you know, a movie at the festival and then it doesn't come out domestically until the next year theatrically. And I just love it so much. And it's definitely going to be... I'd be surprised if it wasn't in my top five at the end of the year. This is just a masterpiece and I, I couldn't give it a higher recommendation. Uh, the Lobster's out now. Go see it. And it's rated R for sexual content, including dialogue and some violence. Oh, there's animal violence in this for anyone. Yes, trigger warning. Yeah. On to movie number two, A Bigger Splash. The vacation of a famous rock star and filmmaker is disrupted by the unexpected visit of an old friend and his daughter. She is the woman of the century, and I'm talking about her soul now. Sound. Hello? Uh, I found you. God, I am so happy to see you. You can talk, can't you? Come on, tell me you're better. Yes, you are. I'm sorry we didn't call, but we're hiding out. <laughs> Not for me. Meet Marianne and Paul. Oh, I should have known you'd bring a protege. I'm his daughter. 
Inquiring minds want to know, Jason, how is Tilda Swinton's David Bowie impression? Well, so, I mean, obviously amazing, but here's the thing. Uh, She doesn't actually um, really do anything when she's in the David Bowie makeup in this movie. Uh, So the, the, the interesting thing going on here is that Tilda's character, who is this rock star... Um, does not have her voice mm. for the mm. entire movie. So she has just had um, one of those surgeries that I guess is somewhat common in, in musicians in particular. This kind of almost is like this Hail Mary surgery that like whenever you've damaged your vocal cords to a certain degree because you've been doing this for so long and you have this heavy surgery that like preserves your voice and mm. like gives more life to you, more years to it. Um, so she has had this surgery and so the entire movie, Tilda plays a character who does not actually really speak. Oh, wow. Um, when she does speak, it's in a very low whisper. And um, and whenever and, and she is a rock star who is on vacation, it's kind of, you know, in con- convalescing from the surgery. And um, we get these just brief glimpses of her um, kind of standing in the middle of a stadium, a rock stadium. And she has like the sequin, like, you know, she's the glitter makeup and the, the silver bodysuit, catsuit. And just seeing her like that, it's just, you don't need her to see her sing. You mm-hmm. to see her rock on stage. Just seeing her looking like that. So many people does, have been asking for it for so long. I know. It does the trick. And uh, and, and at the interesting story, the reason that she doesn't have a voice in this movie is because um, she had just had a loss in her personal life. I believe she had lost her mother. And the director wanted her to do this movie. And she wanted to do the movie. But she was like, I'm in too raw of a place right now to learn dialogue. Oh, wow. And um, and so this was not in the original conception of the script for her character. It was something that they changed. Interesting. Um, and so, and it makes it movie so much more interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, going back to thinking back to like Holly Hunter and the piano, you know, when you have a, like a wordless performance, you, it just makes you train yourself all the more kind of intently on mm-hmm. that actor's, uh, you know, acting. So it's Tilda Swinton on an Italian island villa um, in the summer, mm-hmm. just having a having a holiday. Is if that you, if you will on holiday? Mm-hmm. Is that everything that I would imagine it to be? Can oh. I just close my eyes and pretend that I'm there? It's 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 such heaven. It's so blissful to watch, um, even though eventually it gets kind of ruined. Uh, just the the opening scenes of this movie are 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 quite literally it's meant to evoke sort of like a garden of eden type paradise oh wow um because we see tilda swinton and uh matthias sconarts the three that 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 pronunciation before Thanks. you get to it uh matthias sconarts um we see them just just lying nude next to a pool at this private villa off of this tiny sicilian island and it just feels like heaven. <laughs> That's the vacation you're going on soon, right? The exact same thing. Excellent. Um, and uh, so, and they even, once the um, the visitors, the crashers arrive, um, one says to the other, I think Tilla says to Matthias, or no, he says to her because he's the speaker, says, he's like, we can't be nude anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and on the one hand, it feels sort of like a, you know, sort of a little just jokey line, like, oops, well, I guess we can't be naked anymore. But on the other, it feels like a Garden of Eden illusion. Like, right. well, now we've, you know, we have to cover up. And there's also, uh, they have a lot of snakes 
Um, just a lot of little oh, snakes that just kind of start to like slither onto the property that like both of them have to just like grab and throw. And I'm just like, as an actor, that will be, if I'm ever an actor, I'm going to put it in every contract. No snakes? <laughs> no, just will not handle snakes <laughs> because both of them just have to just grab these snakes and just like whip them into the weeds. It's, that sounds like a terrifying. Oh my God. It's like some Bear girl shit. <laughs> I was not prepared for it. You know, that's all over Paris, right? Oh no. There's just snakes everywhere. Damn it. It's just keeping you... On your toes. I'll, I'll get Scott some gloves. So it's um, Matthias Sconarts. Nope. Yes. No. That's that'll do, that'll do. Damn it! What is it? Yeah. No. You basically did it. Like Matthias Sconarts. That's okay. That's say, it, say, it. say it with some confidence. Matthias Sconarts. You, you said it too carefully. Matthias. 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 Until which sounds like a pretty rad couple. Oh my god, they are just the coolest fucking couple in this movie. Like they are just. She knows how to make an amazingly cool movie couple with a man who is like twenty years her junior, look like just just pure sex and glory and beauty and power. Because I because she's done it. She did it just last year in, in Only Lovers Left Alive with Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 then now here we are in this movie. And because I didn't realize until after I watched this movie, because I was like, oh, you know, it's she's a little older than these actors she's with. I wonder how old she is. I looked her up. Fifty five. Tilda is five years from being sixty. Wow, good for her. And she looks so amazing and she's timeless 55 year old women do yes as 55 year old woman you know certainly can do and you know julianne moore is around that same age so Mm -hmm. that's no longer an age that we're like well that's the crone years but (laughs) but uh but no she still is for men any man over 50 is disgusting yes 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 uh but no tilda i say that not to you know turn it into a conversation about like women and aging but to say that tilda just repels any kind of human weakness just 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 her very being you know she transcends age she transcends uh you know gender um according to the casting people of dr strange she transcends race uh, <laughs> hey-o. Hey-o. so uh and she she's just uh, she is just otherworldly uh entirely which is probably why she got cast in that role in dr strange but so yeah so she and matthias are just the most heavenly just just oof, amazing couple in this movie like and they're both just, especially this opening scene, them just lounging around nude, just looking amazing. And yes, so this this is this is this is couple goals all the way. <laughs> um, and this movie is from the director of I Am Love, that mm-hmm. was also in in Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, starring Tilda. Yeah. Uh, but that had all the the food shots, all yes. the uh, food food porn, but not food porn, uh, food and porn. Yes. Food, um, food and sex. Is this like this? Is that it's like that? So this it has um, a couple of food scenes. Uh, I think the director is aware that if he did too many, that he would get like pegged as just like the food the porn food guy. Porn guy. Um, but no, like you are on Instagram. Like I am will never be <laughs> taking a blood oath. <laughs> never be that guy. Um, so this is such a sensual, seductive movie. It's it, it's just like the photography, the things that they're just like they're just they're just living in the lap of luxury. Uh, just lying around this gorgeous villa playing records and drinking and eating and taking their clothes off and uh, and and and, and uh, it's just it's just you just let it wash over you this mm-hmm. is the kind of movie you just like you just like sit back and you're just like oh this is just this is this is delectable uh, so yeah so it's similar to I Am Love in the sense that like that was such a sensual movie and this is also such a sensual movie but it won't make you as hungry I feel but like you're just... thirsty though hey yo I feel like you're describing this in a way that similar that you in a similar way to how you described 
youth mm-hmm. is it like youth um it's 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 kind of like youth it's not as um it's not as esoteric as youth mm-hmm. um which kind of had some you know some some flights of fancy just random one-off scenes of weirdness yeah this is very much sort of just a four character, almost stagey story. Okay. In the sense that it really is just these four people and it follows and they're together all the time. And we follow and we're mostly just with them while they're either just together, all four of them, or just pairing off in different combinations at this villa and then like going into town and then going back into the villa. So uh, it's a couple and it's the Crashers. And the Crashers are uh, Rafe Fines, um, who turns all the way up in this movie this is like the most animated antic ray fines you will ever see it's also the most of ray fines you will ever see because he does a full frontal scene that's like five minutes long (laughs) um and and god bless him for it i always admire that 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 lack of inhibition in an actor um, and then, so he plays Tilda's ex. Um, he is a music producer. He kind of represents everything that's like louche and decadent about the music industry. Mm. And um, he, he, he represents Tilda's past. And then Matthias represents her future. Uh, he is a recovering alcoholic. He, uh, he is kind of looking after her, caring for her in her convalescence, looking to their future together. And then you have this kind of like, so he's like the angel on her shoulder and refines the devil trying to like lure her back into her old ways mm. to be, you know, debauched and decadent again. Dakota Johnson plays Ray Fine's daughter who he just found out he has. She's an, oh. she plays an American, so she doesn't have to do an accent. Um, is the, yeah, just American daughter. He's just discovered and she has Kelly Bundy hair and <laughs> she is a nymphette in little shorty shorts and she's basically there to just make everyone really uncomfortable. Okay. Um, and, you know, with her sort of We've like... We've all gone on a group trip with one of those. Yes. <laughs> we have indeed. Uh, and usually it's me. So I'll just <laughs> I know. own that. Why longer usually, shorts? I, exactly. I'm the bleach blonde nymphette in the shorty shorts. <laughs> it's my role and I play it with, with Bonamy. <laughs> so does anything happen between these characters? Or are we just watching them all lounge around in, in the beautiful world? So so it actually has a pretty melodramatic third act, which I did not see coming. Um, because when you're watching the first two acts, like you feel like you're getting more than enough substance from the movie just from watching them all interact. Because, you know, there is such a tension that's gradually mounting um, among all four of these characters in all different directions toward one another. And so I thought it was just going to be like, you know, a somewhat smaller, more, you know, just a movie about relationships and uh, and that kind of thing. Um, but then in the final act, actually something does happen, something very big, and it just throws the whole thing into a completely different space. And uh, and it's kind of, I was actually bummed when it happened because I was like, oh, you know, like, well, now it's going to, now it's about that instead mm. of just, you know, just observing these people and the way they interact with each other in these mm-hmm. very kind of guarded, cautious ways. Um, so yeah, it does. It does. For those worried that it's going to be a nothing happens movie, something does happen in the final act. It's it, it's quite something. So is Tilda like the? Is she the main character in this movie, or is this a movie about how the men are navigating their relationships? Because it's a, a an Italian male director. It is. Uh, no, she is. It's interesting. She she's sort of the figurehead. Uh, you know, she is in in a lot of ways. She is all the focus is on her and on people's interactions with her. And, and, you know, so you do have this woman who doesn't have a voice and you just have these two men. And so it's sort of like more of an irony 
that this woman who's a famous rock star, um, iconoclast, always does things her own way, um, that now not only has she lost her voice, but she is not one but two men um, trying to sort of speak for her and trying mm-hmm. to control her and like who she is today and who she'll be going forward. So it is kind of a story about that, about this, you know, this powerful woman who kind of has to lose her voice. Um, and, Do you think and it's, it's done not, in a way that still maintains her strength, or is it? Oh yeah, no. I mean, this is not um, this is not a movie where she she's by no means weak or passive in this movie mm-hmm. at all. Um, she she always finds a very emphatic way of communicating how she's feeling. So she absolutely maintains her agency. It's just kind of more of like just a little like European irony um, that you know that she has these two guys sort of duking it out over her, and she and she's just like exasperated by everything happening. So I didn't get a chance to see this one. What are you giving it? Binge it. Binge, Binge it. it. I fucking love this movie. I mean, it movie. sounds like a real treat. It sounds oh like I could God. save so much money on an Airbnb and just watch this movie. <laughs> oh my God. Just put my foot, feet in a foot bath and... Just one, just that, that long-suffering foot bath of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but wait, but you're missing a toenail. Please don't. Oh, oh God. Oh, no, we no. need to buy another foot bath. Poor thing. It just jumped out the balcony. So yeah, no, <laughs> this 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 will make you want to start like looking up rentals for like villas and villa-like places because, oh my God, it's just so beautiful. Excellent. Um, a Bigger Splash is out now and it's rated R for graphic nudity, some strong sexual content, and brief drug use. Jason? Movie number three is Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. After a sorority moves in next door, which is even more debaucherous than the fraternity before it, Mac and Kelly have to ask for help from their former enemy, Teddy. They don't understand that there's no I in sorority. There's two, actually. There's actually, there's just one. No, that's a Y. No in the middle. That's an O. S-O-R-O-I-T-I-T-Y. Sorority? That's how you spell it. You think the titty is silent? Neighbors 2. Um, we're talking about a sequel to studio comedy. Is it just a is it a rehashing of the same thing? Is it the same movie? Is it better? I didn't see the first one. I saw this one. I didn't see the first one. Yes. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's always the question to ask starting off when you're talking about a studio sequel. Is like, okay, is this just the first movie just repeated with different circumstances? And I would say that, yeah. I mean, it is very, very similar. We still have some Mac and Kelly are in the same house. Um, and once again, they find themselves duking it out with, you know, a Greek community next door um, that this time happens to be girls instead of guys. But but all the details that they create to explain why and how and also to create a new urgency, mm-hmm. because rather than them just being exhausted and wanting to live in peace and quiet, um, their house, they're trying to sell it and they purchase another house and this house is going into escrow. And then just as the house is going into escrow because they have new buyers who are played by, um, one of whom is played by Abby Jacobson Mm -hmm. from Broad City, Mm -hmm. in just a a real throwaway part. Yeah, it was. I was bummed. I was like, you guys aren't going to give her like a single scene to just kind of riff and do something interesting? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess they just kind of wanted to have every role played by somebody who was somebody. Yeah. I mean, it was funny seeing her like in a... a kind of a frumpy mom role yeah 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 um i'm mean, still happy to see her I was just she bummed. wasn't frumpy that's the wrong word to use it's how just, could you she wasn't and you went you came for me when i talked about tilda looking good for her age i know I was, that's on me <laughs> uh so uh yeah so the, the stakes that they established for like why it's a problem are are, are 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 well done i thought it was all believable basically like the contrivances that create this situation mm-hmm. again in mac and kelly's lives i found believable 
I was like, yes, that works. That all makes sense. The stakes are very high. As a, as a viewer, I'm in. I'm, I'm invested. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I see why this is important. And, um, you know, and it actually kind of goes the extra mile of making the girls who move in next door uh, sympathetic in a way. Right. Because uh, whereas in the first movie, um, which, you know, when you see it, um, you know, these were just frat bros, just frat bros moving next to them. And there's no sort of like, you know, in this movie, the girls kind of meet because they go to, um, they meet at like a, a rush for a sorority and then they go to a frat party. And they're kind of, they're outsiders. They, they, they align with each other because they're outsiders. Mm-hmm. And you don't feel like there's anything for them in the Greek system. And so, so they're kind of underdogs. So you're kind of rooting for them whenever they, when they move into the house. So it kind of brings some ambiguity into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, well, who do I root for? Yeah, definitely. The movie almost kind of writes itself into a corner with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it kind of, it has a, um, um, a satisfying way out that it finds. But uh, but no, I think that this is this is just as good and just as funny as the first movie. Did you like anything better about the first movie? Rose Byrne got to have a lot more fun in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, and you know she has talked in interviews about how she kind of pre- pushed them to not have her character just be the usual comedy nag wife. But she wanted to be like there in the mix, um, you know, fucking shit up. Oh, interesting. And so and so she was, and she was so good in that movie, and she's great in this movie too. But she's also pregnant in this movie. Mm-hmm. They're pregnant with their second child, and I think she actually may have been pregnant in real life while they were filming because I know she recently had a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and so she is not quite as as raucous as she was in the first movie, but she still has a lot of very meaningful role. She has a very meaningful role to play in everything. Like, neither of them are as raucous as they were in the first movie they're both both characters are meant to be older and now they have this daughter who I don't know how old she's supposed to be like three or four right and they have another baby on the way so they're just they're just older and softer Mm -hmm. in this movie so they don't get quite as crazy um, but they are still very much scheming on how to bring down this house and Zach Zach Efron he was in the first movie as well yes he was Um, he's in this movie uh huh Um, a lot Uh, a lot of him is in this movie thoughts I'll take it to our resident expert, Jason, So here, on the male body. So, so here's the thing. Um, I feel like between the first Neighbors and the second Neighbors, Zac Efron may have gone from twink to twunk. What's twunk? Twunk is like a beat up old twink. Oh. Like when you no longer can pass as a twink anymore, then you become a twunk. <laughs> um, yes, you're welcome. Um, so because he and, and I remember even in the first movie the first movie was kind of one of his first really like hard R adult roles mm-hmm. um, and in the first movie everyone's like wow he's buff and wow you know wow he's you know he's being really raunchy um, but in this movie he was too buff oh like there's a scene um, whenever he meets the girls in the um, in the frat house and he's just staying there, not even doing anything with his arms. Yeah. And the veins are just bulging, just, just just shooting up out of the skin. And I was like, you don't look well. That's not normal. You thought it was too much, huh? Way too much. And I feel like he may have had some, some you know, I don't think this is just from diet and exercise. And, oh, it's yeah. a doping scandal? And here? his voice, his voice is so deep to the point that it's like cracked. Like, that's not the voice that he would normally have just as an adult man. Hmm. Like, we've seen him, you know, like, it's not like... We, we've seen him go through fucking puberty on screen, and we've seen him play these roles, and his voice in this movie is, like, it's, like, crack low. 
Like <laughs> it's 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 suspicious. Like I I felt uncomfortable watching him. I felt like he was just unwell, wow. and that may have just me being like so threatened by his fitness that, that I just wanted it. to just rip him apart. Um, just want to mother him. Just want to mother him. Um, and he does play a very motherable character. He uh, does. He does. You know, so very sweet. But but no, I I felt like it was just. I just felt like he's unwell. I just got a bad vibe. His energy, girl, his energy was off to me. Really? It was. I, don't know. I felt like, I thought he looked great. I thought his character was good. I thought he was really well, believable and sympathetic. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, I feel like you are more Fitzpo oriented than I am. Oh, so. I feel like that's a shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> that's Fitzpo how you is like a negative cause, term because you, you broke your toe because you were trying to be Zac Efron. I think, uh, I think no, we, I just broke we, my toe. I was trying it. to be. Kyrie Irving is a thing, I but know what that means. I know exactly. That's a word. Um, it's but a person. Uh, but I also so the funny thing about this movie is that Zac Efron is meant to be kind of old news because mm-hmm. there's a new class that's come into the school, and I just don't know if I can live in a world where Zac Efron's not the youngest person in the movie, <laughs> uh, where like Chloe Grace Moretz and her girlfriends are looking at him like you're old, yeah, or, like you're hot but you're old, and I'm like. Oh. What does that say about us? When you start to realize that there are like now multiple generations that are younger than you, like I was fine, I was comfortable <laughs> with Zac Efron representing the next younger generation, but now there's like another one beyond that, and that's that's something that I'm still just working out. So when we were leaving the theater last night, yes. these two people were having a discussion behind us, and I couldn't hear all of it, but um, there was like a little back and forth, and the guy was like, something about this movie tried to put feminist shit in his head. Yes. What? <laughs> that was a bummer. That was not. That was great. a real bummer. That was not. Um, great. Was he right? <laughs> so I think this. I think that he was right in the sense that this movie is very conscious about wanting to be feminist, mm-hmm. and it's very conscious in a lot of ways. It's very like this is a movie that I feel like is very attuned to sort of like the voice of twitter the voice of of sort of like you know wokeness Mm -hmm. it's very attuned to wokeness like it's very aware of its characters race it's very aware of um you know of of gender disparity and sexism and rape culture on campus uh and it depicts all of that yeah i feel like there are a lot of movies we've seen lately where they miss the mark on certain things and we're like oh do we give it a pass or not and this Mm -hmm. one is the one where it's like oh this was made Definitely at a point where the people involved are aware of what's going on and know what is okay to say and what is not okay to say. Exactly. And it's a little bit, some of the things are spelled out, which I think we're kind of still in a place where some things need to be spelled out. And Mm -hmm. and hopefully two or three years down the line, it'll be a little bit more just status quo. Um, But yeah, it definitely has like the sensibilities that I think that we like, we we see are now popular and are and should be how people view things are in this movie. Yeah, which was really refreshing. Yeah, no, it was incredible. I mean, like it really does a great job contextualizing the sort of the female experience mm-hmm. at a college campus. Yep. Um and without uh, being preachy, without being preachy. Um and you know and showing just kind of putting you in, literally putting you in their eyes because there are shots whenever they're at like a fraternity party toward the beginning of the movie, and you're looking through their eyes at the way they're being looked at mm-hmm. by men. Yeah, and um, and and then you it it puts you in their shoes. So these kind of you know this movie is going to get a lot of like fratty viewers mm-hmm. um, who want to see the latest Seth Rogen you know joint, and <laughs> uh, and they're going to kind of find out what it feels like to be a girl uh, at a frat party. And I think that that's a really cool and radical thing. 
Um, and these girls are, you know, these are underdogs. These are outsider girls. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, 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 yeah, it, it's a really impressive achievement. And you could tell that they really wanted to, you know, that they, they could have done any number of things in a sequel. Yeah. But the fact that they decided, they explicitly decided to take it and, and, and make it about, like, a female perspective. And, and to kind of have some fun grappling with this idea of, like, what does it mean to have, like, full female equality? Mm-hmm. And to see, like, a bunch of girls take that idea and apply it to, like, partying. Oh, that's the best part. Yeah, They have, like, theme party nights and one's like, who's your uh, feminist icon? And they, they are dressed up like different feminist icons. Multiple that's Hillary's. Hilarious. And uh, So good. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, so it's interesting to see them grappling with that. Uh, and Chloe Grace Moretz is, is great as, like, the... the uh, spokesperson of this movie I feel like she I'm so excited to see what she's going to do in her career I feel like that she's like really getting off on the on the right foot mm-hmm. and is like the perfect fit for this role um, and so she she's kind of the head of this ragtag group of friends and Zac Efron's there to mentor them as they are trying to figure out how to sort of become a sorority and yeah. have this house Yeah. Um, so should this movie be called Neighbors 2 The House Yummy nice. Jason wrote that not your best moment. Jason Rebecca. wrote that. Not your finest moment. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really, I really wrestled with, with with whether I should make you say "Neighbors to the House Yummy" or "Neighbors to the House Dummy," <laughs> the House Sunny. I was really not clear on which one I want to go with. But ultimately, I decided I want to hear you say "The House Yummy." There you go. So, um, yeah. So I didn't even realize until I was like thinking about this today and and working on prep for this episode. Um, like, it is the House Bunny. It is. Make no mistake. This movie is just Neighbors 1 with a house bunny just just molded into it. Right into it. Because um, that was also a movie about a group of outsider underdog girls who, you know, have like this, this they try having an unsuccessful, uh, you know, sorority. And there's all like the alpha bitch sororities um, that reject them and don't want them. And, uh, and then they have like this kind of older, hotter figure, just kind of like, this unlikely older, hotter person show up and start like shepherding them to like show them their ways. And this person is like someone who has kind of been kicked out of their, their former enclave mm-hmm. of like young, hot people. But now everyone's getting older and they're not one anymore. And so they're trying to, you know, shepherd these young girls and teach them, you know, like, Oh, well I know what it is to be popular. And so let me teach you what it is to be popular and give you all like the tips on how to have like a hot swing in, you know, uh, sorority house. But then, you know, goes to girls' heads and then they start to like turn into everything they hated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it is, <laughs> it's the same movie. And the more I thought about it, the more it almost started to like make me feel not as positive about this one oh, because it is so similar to The House Bunny, which is one of the great films of all time. So I feel like <laughs> if you're going to borrow from a great movie like that, then you better come to play. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it is it is incredibly similar to the House Bunny. Um, so I I have to just own that entirely. So there's a there's some gay stuff in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was it was a bit lost on me again, not having seen the first one. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, that person was not uh, gay in the first movie. Yeah, they or... they referenced how they, yes. they weren't. Yeah, so uh, there is a sort of surprise reveal uh, that one of the characters from the first movie actually uh, was a closeted homosexual in the first movie. And uh, and it, you can find the information if you want to find it. I won't be the one to spoil it for you, um, because and it's already been reported breathlessly by the gay press um, because everyone's very excited. Um, <laughs> but the way that it's revealed, it took me back to a time and place whenever um, gay stuff would be put into broad dude comedies to get the audience to go, oh. 
Hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically of, um, I remember Big Daddy, the Adam Sandler movie. There's that scene toward the beginning where they're all the characters are together for like a party. And they're these two kind of just guys in suits standing next to each other. And they don't read as gay. And uh, the one's like, all right, well, all right, I'm going to go. I'll see you later. And then they turn and just have this really intense kiss. And that's just meant to be a gross out moment. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be a gross out moment. It's meant to make the audience go, oh! So you mean Adam Sandler didn't ha- handle Well, it wasn't sensitive gay about gay it. I know. Circa 1998. He was not, he was not <laughs> woke about gay stuff. So I've always been really sensitive to that whenever, like, you know, whenever there's, like, gay panic um, or mm-hmm. anything that's meant to make an audience go, like, oh, my God, what? Um, and in this movie, I'm not saying that it's trying to do gay panic, but it is, it's meant to be an element of surprise. Mm-hmm. And because as this as this thing starts to unfold that reveals this person is gay, you're thinking like, wait, like, oh, my God, his gay friend is 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 into him. Um, and you're starting to think like it's going to be like an unwanted advance. Hmm. Um, and there were I heard guys in our audience in our theater. And apparently, as we found out, wasn't exactly filled with woke bays. But um, but yeah, I heard some like oh no, um, and I, and that just it just fucking knifes me. Mm. I also heard some cheers. Well, there were people who like clapped and cheered about I may have how hit, it went. I may have hidden my seat and going, mm, you know, no, I was trying no, to I was trying to was, counter it. There were definitely people in the audience that were. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, like it, 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 we we didn't see it in you know some terrible place where there's no such thing as gay people. I'm sure there are other gay people in the audience sure. who were excited. And, um, you know, and, uh, but, you know, there were a lot of young people in the audience. Um, and, but it was just, it was just disappointing. Hmm. And I felt like, you know, they wanted to just, yeah, they wanted to have it be like a fun reveal. And it is a very sweet scene. Um, but I just felt like, I just felt like, I just felt discomfort every time that they would come back to that character and that storyline. Because I could just like, I, it was just something that I was picking up on in our audience. This sense of like guys being like, oh God, no. Hmm. Um, and uh, and that's actually I think with those guys behind us as we were walking out were saying right before they got onto the feminist stuff they were like saying like oh the gay shit yeah I heard that um, and so like it's just it's just really distracting and it wasn't uh, the way it was handled they took a risk by having it be sort of like a comedic reveal where you're not sure what's going on mm-hmm. and I just don't feel like that was the best way to handle that um, hmm. because it, it gives you the opportunity for that kind of like grumbling and that kind of like oh no ah oh, sick um, kind of moment, hmm. um, so that really bothered me. Um, but you know, so it's 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 more obviously you know people you know movie can't be held responsible for the reactions people have to it because that they bring their own shit and their own prejudice to it, right? Um, but you know, so and I think the movie by and large, like again, it did not have to choose to make one of these characters gay and to you know like show him in like a committed relationship, mm-hmm. and um, it, and and him being in a committed relationship is like one of the sort of like trophies like in this friend group right it's like everyone mm-hmm. has their shit together one person's making an app the other person's getting married right to a guy and um so it's seen as like an accomplishment yeah. in life and it's definitely you're right it's in the movie it's handled well like the surprise um aside like it's welcomed everyone mm-hmm. knows what's going on it's right. like no surprise to them yeah they definitely um, make a point of having you know having zach efron be super super cool with it mm-hmm. like and not not even cool with it like not even cool with it because to say he's cool with it implies that there could be a possibility he wouldn't be or that it's no an they're issue all for like him. a part of this proposal yeah right yeah like it's it's something that's not even there's no question mm-hmm. um about the support that he gets from his friends and that's it's just not an issue it's a non-issue for them right so i guess then to me the movie kind of makes an issue with the way it introduces it even though it's a non-issue for the characters Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, no. I, with that, with that all said, um, you know, it was. It, I, I had a ball watching this movie. I thought it was. It's so funny. I was a huge fan of the first movie, um, and this movie is just as funny. It finds innovative ways to build upon the story of the original. Um, everyone is hilarious and so funny and so good. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would say binge it. Rebecca? Binge it, binge it here as well. Um, right. I like the way it was made. I like, I, I like what it stands for as a movie, and it was hilarious. I, I laughed my ass off. Um, Neighbors 2 is out now, and it's rated R for crude sexual content, including brief graphic nudity. Language throughout, drug use, and teen partying. Jason, it's time for our last movie, movie number four, The Angry Birds Movie. When an island populated by happy, flightless birds is visited by mysterious green piggies, it's up to three unlikely outcasts to figure out what the pigs are up to. Something's coming! What is that thing? Greetings from the world of the pigs. These pigs are mysterious and weird, am I right? <laughs> I don't trust them. I think they're up to something. Your opinion is not needed. Speak, ah! wing, giblets. That went well, if you're me. This movie makes uh, an unusual choice to list all of the celebrity voice cameos at the beginning during the opening credits, which doesn't usually happen. No. Animated movies normally don't really even have opening credits. So it's that thing where you're trying to like pick who's what voice once you already know like immediately yeah. who's for. You're gonna, it, you're gonna... it starts a huge guessing game right off the mm-hmm. bat. We are like, oh, that person, that person. Like, it lists like 30 fucking names. It does. But you only hear... Like seven. Seven. <laughs> you barely hear any of the names um, called out. And, you know, for varying, you know, I don't, I'm still confused on who a lot of them were. Um, mm-hmm. Like, a lot of these people who are credited literally have their names in the opening credits, have, like, a grunt they make in the background of a scene. <laughs> and I think that's it. Sean Penn, for instance, literally only grunts. Is that what he is? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, like, the big, the biggest bird, the biggest angry bird. Who's oh, just that's goes, like, Sean mm. Penn. Yeah, like, he probably got a fucking, like, $3 million to show up and, like, record, <laughs> like, five minutes of grunts that they could play during his character scenes. So, that must have been it. I, I know when I was when we were originally talking about going to see this movie and I was not on board mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, one of the draws was that it had all these uh, voice actors. Right. And I had like Hannibal Burris and Maya Rudolph and I was like, okay, maybe it will be kind of funny. Kate McKinnon. So I think that, that having having all those names out there definitely is uh, a draw. Yes. Um, and I feel that tricked. disappoints. It's a it's a it's a bait and switch is it what is. it is. Um, and you know the only the actor's voice you hear by and large the most that you just don't want to hear at all ever is Jason Sudeikis, who is just so one note sarcastic and smug mm-hmm. in this. Like without his handsome face to look at, it turns out Jason <laughs> Sudeikis is quite insufferable. Yeah. Um, like it was just such a oh my god! Like I just I was like you were how how can a voice actor be so unlikable? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and there's so was... many different actors they could have cast to play that kind of, you know, like, you know, misanthropic main character. And he's, oh, God, he just misfires completely. He's just horrible to listen to. Um, so, like you said, he's, it's like an avian curvier enthusiasm. He's basically this angry, uh, misanthropic, uh, hated uh, character, um, which I guess is refreshing to see. I mean, you you made a comparison to Emperor's New Groove when mm-hmm. we were talking about seeing it. Which is how I tricked her into seeing it, guys. It is how you tricked me. It's like, you can trick me into seeing anything by saying it's like the Emperor's <laughs> New Groove. But the Emperor's New Groove, he he sees the error in his ways and he make mm-hmm. amends. And his character is terrible. But he's terrible in a way that is spoiled and um, flawed and not... Smug right. and right. self-righteous. Well, yeah, well, he's spoiled, and then he spoiled. and he loses his comforts, mm-hmm. and he has to kind of get real. 
um, in Emperor's New Groove. Um, and yeah, I, I guess, you know, what I mean to say is that it's kind of fun to have just a, just a misanthropic asshole um, be the hero of a story of an animated family movie because it's unusual. It's unusual. And he doesn't really learn anything. And every, everyone else actually learns that he's right. That's terrible. And, and he's validated, you know, which I wouldn't mind as much. Um, I, I was fine. Like, it's a mean-spirited game. And I was ready for just a funny, mean-spirited animated movie. I was like, sign me up. I'm ready for just like mean-spirited comedy animation. This will be fantastic. But I feel like the movie didn't quite know what it wanted to be or who it was for. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was just constantly second-guessing itself over like, you know, oh, is this, will that be too mean? Or like, how, you know, how funny? Are we allowed to be like adult funny? Or do we just be like kid funny? Uh, like this, this, we talked about this after with the movie. Um, one of the biggest problems with this, this movie should have been a fucking home run comedy wise mm-hmm. um, because it's so absurd. It's so absurd. Um, and they could have just got run with that and had so much fun with just how absurd and stupid it is that there's these like, you know, these birds fighting pigs. Right. Um, and but like the pacing of the humor is just broken at its core. There is not a single joke in this movie that doesn't have a beat taken immediately after it. As if to turn to you guys and be like, well, that was a joke. Yep. Like, it's basically, my best comparison for it is, like, how multicam sitcoms always, like, <laughs> kind of after they have their joke, then there's, like, that that beat it takes. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's like a, a, an audience laugh break mm-hmm. where then, like, it just holds it for a second. That's what this movie does, except for there's no audience laughter. <laughs> and so it just kind of holds that weird beat and then just moves on to the next awkward joke. Yeah. And it feel like it's, I feel like the attempts at humor in this movie were successful like less than 10% of the time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just mostly trying and failing to be funny, which as we talked about in the past, like is just one of the hardest things to watch is watching something try and fail to be funny. Yeah. I think that like I think that because it is a kids movie like they're animated adult movies and and for it to be mean spirited and just to run with that would have been something if it was an adult movie I don't know why I feel like a sense of responsibility when it's a kids movie Mm -hmm. to have like at least not a bad message Uh, and in this like post Zootopia world we live in this message here is terrible Um, (laughs) it's it's not again like you said it's not well thought out because they were kind of seemed like they were hemming and hawing Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it's about this like outsider asshole who thinks he's always right and has no room for anyone. It's also really pulls off the Grinch with like the story is supposed to be that he's made fun of and doesn't have a family. Even the way that it parallels yeah. the flashbacks is exactly like the yeah. Grinch with Jim Carrey. And they give you like a 30 second flashback to try yeah. to give him some humanity. It's not like really built in organically to the story. It's like tacked on. Right. And so he's just, he's this, uh, um, he's this smug, um, he's somebody you know I'm sure I'm guarantee you know somebody like this guy and the last thing you want is for him to end up being the town hero because he was right um, and everyone welcomes him back even though he does nothing to change at all um, who he is and I felt like the worst part of this movie is that um, so the pigs come to to Bird Island and everyone welcomes him with open arms but because he doesn't trust anyone and he doesn't like anything he is immediately suspect of them and so he's trying to call out that their intentions aren't great and it just rang as this like xenophobic um, I don't know it's there's we're in a political climate right now that it's it's not very welcome once again it, it's it's couldn't be more opposite from the the vibe of Zootopia mm-hmm. uh, where it's trying to teach they were that try to teach us lesson about ourselves this is like oh let's reward the the, the guy who's like doesn't want to let anybody into our island because they're gonna come and, ru- and ruin and take everything over right and uh, and and the funny thing about that is that you know with since it's an animated film about birds versus pigs where there's no clear um, 
pecking order, if you will. Okay. Um, there, you know, we don't really know who is, you know, who is the more powerful of these two groups. Mm-hmm. Although thinking about a bit some more, I think the pigs were meant to be because they have when we see their island, it's just like all these palaces. And, you know, and we find out that like they, they just go around just pillaging from all these different, you know, populations and mm-hmm. building up their own. And so I do think that, like, you know, if you look at it from one direction, it's xenophobic. If you look at it from another, it's anti-colonialist. And, you know, it's about this kind of this population that's trusting and they get they get taken advantage of and exploited by a more powerful group that has more resources. And then um, and then the the little guy fights back. Mm. And uh, so I think it just it's, it's you know, it's an animated movie. So you just kind of have to just, you know, you bring to it what you will in terms of what the you know allegory is meant to be. Mm. Um, but I do think that there is enough to suggest that the pigs are are sort of the more wealthy, powerful population, and that they're just a lot more organized and how they're just going around systematically, just just pillaging from these other smaller um, communities. Embrace the serpent style, right? <laughs> Except like that you're taking in you're taking in through the red birds. Uh, point of view and like the way he's they sort of have this worship of this eagle who has this very like american um authoritarian uh style Mm -hmm. and that's what's like uh worshiped and seen as like the hero um i feel like we're supposed to identify with with the birds um Mm -hmm. in this case which which yeah i think the movie always wants to identify with the underdog i mean movies never like oh identify with the oppressor like no no kids will ever tell you to identify with the oppressor you know they want you to identify with the underdog and well i should also note the bird, this eagle, the hero eagle, is voiced by Peter Dinklage, and by far the film's funniest voice performance. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh my god, yeah. Like I was like more of that, please. Like mm-hmm. he just he just nailed it. He nailed. He was able to do the the, the line readings in a way that made you immediately understand the character, and was also very funny. Yeah. Um, but no, I, mean, I I even thought of like the fact that they have this, this this sort of idol that they're all looking at. That even to me was again suggesting this kind of like you know sort of like tropical island. Hmm. Um, you know, that like, you know, was sort of like not as, as, um, you know, hadn't been thoroughly, you know, civilized. Mm. Uh, so, you know, this, so that to me was suggesting it was like, this is kind of like, yeah, tropical island population that has like these more developed, uh, this more developed island with all these castles and palaces and wealth come to just take what little they have and take it, take it away with them. Hmm. So to me, that was, that was the, the sort of the economic divide between the two groups. Hmm. In the Angry Birds movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've given this movie more than enough uh, conversation. <laughs> the um, point is, it's not funny and it should be funny. So fuck it. It's not funny. It's not funny. Um, it's it's kind of boring. Yeah. The only best thing about it was we saw it in 3D and the 3D animation was really good. Yeah. And they actually do like some fun in your face 3D effects, which most movies don't do anymore with 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm giving it a send it back. Yep. Send it back. Uh, I, I the more I thought about this movie, the more I was angry that I wasted my time with it. Yeah. Um, true story. Rebecca and I went on a day long bender after we watched this movie. <laughs> it just, That's it why I don't remember it most of it. Rubbed us the wrong way. We had to go and deal with it our own way. We did. Um, so that's it. That's Angry Birds movie. It's rated PG thirteen. Nope, that's a lie. It's rated PG for rude humor. I mean, it's a fucking kids movie. Why is it? Why does it have rude humor? I don't, I don't like. It. <laughs> don't go see it. Um, all right, that's it. Four movies. We made up for the movie, for the episode we skipped last week. That's right. Um, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in to us on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, SoundCloud app. And we're both on Twitter. Jason's at the Jason Leroy, and I am at Fight Balance. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.